0: Welcome to this week's Investors Chronicle Personal Finance Podcast. I'm Lenora Walters and joining me today is Bradley Gerrard, News Editor at Investors Chronicle and Special Guest Danny Cox, Chartered Financial Planner at Hargreaves Lansdowne. Following the UK's vote to leave the European Union two weeks ago, we've seen plenty of movements in markets and currencies and the chaos seems to be spreading. Over the course of this week, no less than six commercial property funds have suspended investor withdrawals because they don't have enough cash to meet the deluge of requests to take money out. Investors have been rushing for the door because of the high levels of uncertainty over UK commercial property since the UK voted to leave the European Union. Danny, first of all, for our listeners who aren't familiar with the inner workings of property funds which invest in buildings, why can it be so difficult for them to give people back their money?
1: Well, in an open-ended fund, what happens is when the money comes into the fund, the, the fund manager buys, buys properties with it. Um, there are some transaction costs that are pretty expensive, and they leave a certain amount of cash as a sort of a free float to help pay for redemptions. But if you can imagine when you've got lots of people who are trying to get their money out, once that cash expires or once that cash gets close to expiring, um, they're left with just commercial properties. So selling a commercial property you know, is a long and expensive process. So what the funds are doing at the moment is they're looking ahead and they're seeing, they're seeing that they're, they're, the rate at which they're, losing, they're, they're paying out redemptions in the form of cash has gone up rapidly. They can look at, they're looking ahead and saying, well, actually, it looks as though we're going to have to sell something at some point. Uh, and so by suspending the funds, what they're doing is they're giving themselves some more time to look at how they improve the cash flow in the fund and Perhaps sell properties to do that, but also they're making sure that they're protecting investors' interests, which is which is a really important aspect.
0: Okay. Now, why are people piling out of commercial property? Is it just because of a vote for Brexit, or are there other reasons to be worried about the prospects for the asset?
1: Well, the, I mean, the UK economy was was turning downward slightly anyway ahead of the the EU referendum, and the EU referendum has 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 brought this sort of this cloak of political and economic uncertainty. And what we've seen in the past, particularly going back to sort of 2008 and the financial crisis, is that when we have, when we have a slowdown in the economy, we, we very much have a slowdown in the commercial property market. And what happened then is investors were bitten. There were redemptions. There were huge loss. I think the average loss on the IPD index, commercial property index, was around about 35%. And so I think investors remembered that and thought, well, now now must be the time for us to move our money out. And, and actually, some of these funds had, all, had already started applying this fair value pricing adjustment. So in mm. other words, we're, we're adjusting the the prices of the funds down ahead of the reference.
0: Yeah, and May wasn't in June. In a number May. of funds. So yeah.
1: So, so as soon as, as soon as one fund said, okay, we're going to suspend, you can imagine that all the property investors out there are saying, well, hang on a minute. If this fund is going to suspend, then probably my fund will as well. So I better get my money out now. So you know, there's, there's, there's nothing that will stop people rushing to get their money out quicker than than some people not being able to do it. I mean, I think the long-term prospects for the commercial property sector is actually pretty good. You know, there's generally speaking, if you look at office property, if you look at industrial, the, the demand and the performance has been pretty good. Retail is a different matter because we've got this ongoing switch from sort of, uh, you know, the high street to online shopping. But the long-term prospects are pretty good. So I think this has just been a, this has been a big reaction and people remembering what's happened eight or nine years ago and not Need to get caught
0: again badly what do you make of the situation is it is it just panic or are there fundamental reasons to, to worry about commercial property um, I mean as
2: Danny says before the whole Brexit vote there was a bit a bit of a sort of softening in the economy and um, sort of fund managers and economists that I've spoken to because a few did say the stage of the economic cycle is quite late and we're starting to see signs of that So arguably, that's a bit of a problem. And I guess really, I mean, Brexit only really becomes a problem if we actually start to see, you know, job losses, Um, if we start to see companies perhaps relocate headquarters, um, or split headquarters, you could see them sort of therefore needing smaller offices, and so want to sell bigger ones. And I guess that could lead to potentially sort of a slight downward trend in pricing. But I guess I mean, while it's potentially prudent, the fund groups have taken the decision to revalue their portfolios of property there is a bit of a question about how evidential those downgrades in prices are really we haven't it's only been a couple of weeks since brexit and already we're sort of massively devaluing commercial property so, I don't know, I, I would think there would be an argument, I don't know if Danny would agree, that possibly the fund groups have precipitated this panic themselves. They've brought mm-hmm. it upon themselves to a degree. It might be sensible in part, but to a degree, they are potentially at fault for rattling investors' nerves.
1: Difficult, isn't it? Because, um, as you say, Bradley, you know, the, the pricing adjustments were coming in, uh, going back a couple of months, and we were seeing some slowing down in the economy and slowing down in the market. And I suppose part of the problem or certainly what the fund groups are saying is they're saying it's actually very difficult to value properties at the moment because with all this uncertainty, the last thing that the commercial property fund managers want to be doing is being forced sellers in a pretty weak market. So I think, I think certainly what they've done is they've acted extremely quickly. Whether they've acted too quickly and precipitated uh, is, is, is a bit difficult to know. But certainly what, we, what we've seen from investor behavior is that, you know, uh, once they see the first domino going, they, they, they rush to, to try and move their money out before the other dominoes go. So I think what we've done here now is we're now, we're, we're now in a position where precedents have been set that with commercial property and also the open-ended commercial property funds in the future, when we get to these kind of moments, is I can imagine that people are just going to be waiting for the first signs of, of a downturn. And then, and then they'll be rushing to the door quickly. So there is a fundamental question as to whether open-ended funds will will survive in their current format going forward.
0: You've obviously referenced two thousand and eight, the last time that um, commercial property funds sort of gated sort of redemptions. Is the situation exactly the same and is it as bad? You know, what are the differences between the two?
1: I mean, it's nowhere near as bad um, in the sense of back at that time, there was a, a, a banking crisis, there was a liquidity crisis, there was huge amounts of debt uh, across both the banks and across these commercial property developments and we're in a much better position than we were today certainly that you know banks banks have a much much greater capital buffers you know we, we do have an economy um, that, that's ticking along quite nicely we haven't had sort of the year of turmoil that we had facing leading up to 2008 so I think we're in a very different position than we are uh, than we are back then.
0: Now Bradley um, I understand that some experts are actually even saying that commercial property might become attractive to international investors because of the weakness of the pound and ultimately benefit. I mean, is this wildly optimistic or um, is it a reality?
2: Yeah, it's hard to say. There are a lot of calls about how brilliant the pound's fall is for the UK economy. Um, Again, we're kind of yet to see uh, a lot of evidence of this. Anecdotally, our property correspondent Jonas Crosland has told me that some estate agents are actually getting a lot of inquiries from overseas investors for residential property, particularly in the one to £2 million bracket we haven't had that sort of anecdotal evidence on commercial property necessarily yet. But I think, I mean, investors have to take um, a deep breath really and think, okay, um, often these commercial properties have quite long, um, you know, the tenants are quite long term. And as Danny pointed out earlier, yes, you could argue the retail situation is looking a bit soft, but if you're in the right retailers who are adapting to the online world, the click and collect world, you know, well, then arguably you shouldn't really be worried because they're going to be around, they're going to still need their big boxes in various towns and cities across the UK, which box products, distribute products, Mm. you know, deal with the online Mm. shopping aspect of things. And also, if we do next week see interest rates cut, then from a yield perspective, Property continues to look attractive for investors. And um, while necessarily one shouldn't sort of um, completely rejig their asset allocation, I think maintaining um, a portion of your prop- your portfolio to property might well continue to make a lot of sense, particularly given where interest rates are likely now to go. I mean, it wasn't that long ago we were thinking they'd rise this year. Now, the chances of them being mm-hmm. cut this month were something like 86%, uh, one commentator put out yesterday. So, yeah, it's potentially interesting to domestic investors, and because of those factors, potentially um, international ones too, as well. Like you say, with the pound falling, we just potentially yet to see the evidence of that, but it makes sense that that would be the case.
1: We've seen, um, you know, Legal in General and Aberdeen are both quite bullish about their property funds. You know, mm. Legal in General have taken off the bid offer spread to encourage investment. Um, and, you know, I agree with you badly. I think at some point, there is going to be a good time to buy property, but certainly people who've already got exposure in their Portfolio should continue to do so. What I what I think we should see people doing though is they they should be reassessing whether the open-ended nature of the fund is actually the right way to the, for them to hold uh, property exposure and whether closed-ended funds are better.
0: Well, I'll jump to one of my later questions then. I mean, um, obviously, if you if you do buy a property investment trust um, rather than a property fund, if you do want to get out, you can sell it on secondary market. So, in your opinion, are investment trusts the answer for accessing commercial property?
1: Um, Well, you're getting slightly different exposure because when you're going into open-ended property, you're getting uh, the the returns much more reflect the 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 experience of investing directly in the actual properties themselves. Whereas when you're investing in a a closed-ended fund, you're getting much wider market sentiment. Um, as well as that exposure to the commercial property sector. I think it's it's a case of, you know, what sort of liquidity do you want? Um, You know, if you're you're happy to take a long-term view and and, and you're happy to accept that at various times you may not be able to get access to your money and you may not not be able to get access to your money at the price you'd like to get for it, uh, then an open-ended fund can work quite well. So, for example, I think an open-ended fund doesn't work very well in a drawdown portfolio or certainly in a pension portfolio leading leading up to retirement if you need that level of Flexibility and liquidity, but closed-ended funds may not necessarily be appropriate for everyone because of the additional gearing and um, and also because of the the fact that it's a wider market sentiment as well. But but certainly, th- I think it's important for people to review where they are with their property exposure and make the right decision on the structure based on what's right for them.
0: Turning to anybody who is unfortunately stuck in one of these funds, um, is it all doom and gloom? Are they worthless? Are they still getting income? What what's the situation of these people?
1: well the situation is is that it's it's uh, uh, uh c- clearly it's a tough time but you know you're still getting income i think you probably have little choice but to to ride it out even if you can get out of your fund you know you're going to suffer a pretty pretty big fair value adjustment um, but if you've been in the fund for say four or five years you're probably sitting on a pretty healthy profit anyway so i, th- I think it's a case of, of reviewing whether that exposure is still correct for you and whether if you can get out whether you can get out for a price that's acceptable and if not then you should ha- then you should sit tight and you should sit tight and, until such a time as as you have the opportunity to exit at a better price but actually, uh, fundamentally, if, if, if commercial property was the right way to have part of your portfolio, you know, last year, last week, five years ago, then it's probably still correct now. It's my, my question or my, 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 my point is that I think investors should be asking the question, uh, you know, when the time is right, is that should they be reviewing whether they're in an open-ended structure or a closed-ended structure?
0: OK. Now, we've been talking about funds which invest in physical property. There's actually quite a few funds out there and investment trusts. But by shares of property companies or companies involved with property, rather than actual buildings, are these a better option at the moment?
1: Um, well, you're getting you're getting exposure to the property market, but in a different way because you're getting all of the. The sentiment around equity investing and how how profitable a company uh, is at the same time so you're not you 're not really getting the the, the, you know, the true diversification that, that you 're getting with a with a physical property fund um, you know for example if you 're investing within a fund that invests in the house builders you know you 'll have seen a, a tremendous amount of growth over the last couple of years, but then you 'll have seen the values fall thirty percent since since brexit so um, you know the, the, these funds that invest in shares of property companies, you're not getting the, the uncorrelated return uh, that a commercial property investment uh, provides you. But, that, but it is a different way to be able to get exposure to the property market.
0: On that note, Bradley, do you think the problems that you know, these funds have experienced could spread to, let's say, other areas? I don't know, for example, real estate investment trusts?
2: Well, I mean, if, if by problem you mean a massive share price fall, mm-hmm. then I think it's already there. A lot of real estate investment trusts in their, their share prices drop an awful lot. So arguably, that yeah, that that's all kind of already happened. I mean, in terms of kind of picking up on what Danny said, I suppose. I mean the the beauty of a, like a listed structure to invest in property is that you can get your money back. I mean, yes, the the price at which you do that will depend on sentiment in the market, but um, it's easier. It's, you get that liquidity premium, I suppose, with it. But actually, I, mean, I spoke to a fund manager uh, this week who has been you know snapping up th- things like land securities this week amidst what is you know what looks um, on the face of it a bit of chaos because mm. he's just saying you know well the yield is very noteworthy now. These are very stable companies. They, you know they're sort of solid businesses have been around for a long time and really we haven't really had any sort of proper evidence yet about valuation i mean obviously valuation is arguably in the eye of the beholder and if people are panicked then valuations have gone down already because people are worried so it makes sense to for fund groups to kind of discount the value of their portfolios but there hasn't really been any sort of proper evidence and um really at the moment a lot of the um the the fear is that is fear is driving this and um we haven't got a whole lot of evidence, and I think if you're a long-term investor, and as Danny said, if you invested in property five years ago, a you've done pretty well out of that anyway, but b um, you know, it hasn't just overnight become you know, less worthy an asset, and arguably, um, you know, a, a good balanced portfolio will see parts suffer in certain times and others you know prosper at that same time and vice versa so i don't think property um as an investment has sort of deteriorated in you know quality just because of brexit we may well see a downturn in the commercial property market but i think it, it'd be sensible for people holding on to investments in this sector to actually wait and see okay are we seeing is unemployment going to start rising is consumer sentiment and spending more importantly than just sentiment is spending going to drop or is that going to fall so i think i wouldn't sort of pull the trigger on selling anything just yet and if you were very brave i suppose what one could do if you were say invested in the aberdeen and the lng funds which Aren't gated, but are mm. charging you effectively a premium to sell. If you are feeling quite brave, you could sell now and buy an investment trust that's actually at a lower discount, so you sort of make a little bit there, and then wait for that to go back up. Uh, that's that's quite a risky trade potentially, yeah. and maybe a, a more sensible one might be just to, if you have spare capital, maybe put a, a small bit in a listed property company, and then when you can get out of your open-ended funds, do that. In uh, given what's happened, because people have often talked about liquidity in open-ended funds and you always think oh well that won't be an issue but i mean as danny said in in what seven eight years we've been here twice now yeah. and um i think the, the future of the open-ended property investment company is clearly going to have to be in question and i think the fca has actually made noises yeah, about yeah, the yeah. fact it's going to have a look at this so that'll be interesting
0: yeah on that note danny we've obviously seen twice in eight years property funds stopping investors taking their money up. is there a risk that any other asset classes might see this? You can we expect, I don't know, whether equity bond or other funds to do this? Or is it less likely in those areas?
1: Far less likely. I think commercial property is the, is the, is the obvious one um, uh, where you have these huge assets that, that, that have suffered liquidity problems at, at times and, you, and you, have to, you have to wait to be able to sell a property um, uh, you know, and try and avoid becoming a forced seller. I mean, yes, the FCA are, are already taking interest in this. Um, the, the, whole, the whole issue around fair value pricing and suspensions is something that's regulated very carefully by the FCA, and I think what they'll be doing is they'll be looking at how these funds are distributed, how, how they're marketed, and, and importantly, how, how fairly investors are told about what the risks are and the risks of liquidity and the risks of, of fair pricing, um, and whether those have been communicated properly during the sales process. And I think we'll hear back from them in due course.
0: So, um, different situation of other assets then. Now, another effect of the vote for Brexit has been a plunge in yields on UK government bonds, known as gilts, um, with one of these bonds falling to a negative rate. Even if you don't invest in gilts, if you're approaching retirement, it could have serious consequences. Danny, why is this such a problem for people um, coming up to retirement?
1: The problem is, is that, that uh, uh, gilt yields drive annuity rates, and so the annuity is where you, are, is where you exchange your pension fund for a, a guaranteed income for your lifetime. Um, and those people who still buy annuities, and you know, people still do buy annuities even though they don't have to, um, they're, they're looking at, at, at annuity rates which are as low as they ever have been. So um, annuity rates have fallen steadily over the years, um, because as as interest rates and gilt yields have also fallen, Uh, but now gilt yields have gone much lower, and in some cases, as you say, there's a negative yield out there. Um, Annuity rates are really set to fall further. We've seen a couple of uh, insurance companies already cutting uh, annuity rates. Um, At the same time, we had with pension freedoms, um, is that far more people are now uh, exercising income drawdown to take their pension benefits. This is where you just draw uh, money out of your pension fund rather than buying an annuity. So the annuity market is, is much smaller um, and so there's 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 really uh, less less desire really to to um uh, to offer competitive rates to and people coming up to retire, particularly with the a uh, backdrop of low guilt yields um You can only see really annuity rates going one way, which is down
0: so you expect more cuts
1: I expect more cuts, so I think if people are uh, if people need that secure income they they 've got a couple of choices one one choice is, is that they is that they wait for for yields to recover. Um, and who, know, who knows when that might happen? That could be, that could be you know, a number of years rather than a number of months. The alternative is that they, they do buy an annuity now, but they shop around to try and get the best rate they possibly can. And this means going around to a, a, ideally an annuity broker who can look at a number of different insurance companies and also check whether you're, you'll be entitled to an enhanced rate. Uh, so, whether for a health or a lifestyle uh, reason, um, you can often increase your income by you know, up to 25 or 40% or something. So well worth shopping around if you do decide to buy an annuity. And annuities, they still work well in the sense that they provide people with a guaranteed income for life. So being able to provide that certainty of income over your lifetime is important for, for certainly an aspect of everybody's retirement income.
0: If you're shopping around, should you avoid all the providers who've already made a cut or you know what your considerations what are some key points when when you're looking around?
1: Well the easiest way to shop around is to go to an annuity broker um, because um, you know going to individual companies um, can take you a long time and and a lot of effort so go to an annuity broker who has all the contacts in all the cases they'll be able to help you with all the paperwork and and perhaps transact online. Uh, A number of annuity brokers have got online rates and online enhanced annuity rates as well so you can see exactly what incomes are being offered by different providers. So that process of shopping around becomes much easier. So you'll be able to see there which annuity companies are offering the best rates to paying. And, and, you know, different companies offer better rates on different ages at various times. So, you know, if if you chose just one particular company, that may or may not be the best rate for you.
0: Okay, I guess shopping around um, helps you, you know, perhaps get better than um, uh, what you might get. But I suppose uh, investors don't necessarily have to have an annuity. Um, They could go into income drawdowns. So with this difficult situation, should people perhaps consider not buying an annuity and and, and look to, to the income drawdown?
1: I think income drawdown is certainly an option. Um, and, you know, what, what we've seen is we've seen whereas, you know, 90% of people coming up to retirement used to buy an annuity, that's now gone down to around about half, something in that kind of, in that kind of region. So, and, and, and perhaps the most popular way to take your, your retirement benefits now is to do a mix and match, to do part annuity and part drawdown. So... Um, What people need in retirement generally is they generally need a a certain amount of income to meet their basic needs, and that income is ideally guaranteed, and that could be met by state pension or perhaps company pension and perhaps annuity. And then for income above that basic level, that's where income drawdown and, and the risk and the, and the variability comes in. So I think if you're in a, in a position whereby you can afford to wait, and you might need to to wait for quite some time before you buy an, your annuity, then income drawdown is a solution because you can you can adopt a relatively cautious approach with some of your, your pot, perhaps even just leave it in cash for a short time, um, and then look to buy an annuity in, in the future um, for Those people who are going to use an income drawdown solution for all of their retirement, they need to take investment risk with that and ideally uh, a good proportion of that into, into the stock market to give themselves the best chance of getting a good income which grows over time.
0: OK, I suppose on that note, though, the, um, perhaps the downside to income drawdown at the moment is the fact that markets are tanking and they are volatile. Is that a reason maybe not to do income drawdown because we are in, in difficult times and uncertain times and it's you know hard to know if you, you, you can make it last all your life?
1: Absolutely right. And this is all about uh, your, your investment strategy and how much income you're going to take. And certainly if you're somebody who you know is not going to be able to sleep at night because the stock market is going up and down, then income drawdown is the wrong thing for you. But if you take the right investment approach and take a long-term view, then you're probably coming from a point where your pension fund has been invested anyway. So all you're doing is you're continuing uh, an investment that, that may have been going on for 10, 20 or 30 years already. And so this is just an extension of that. So if you're taking, if you're taking a longer-term view, my, my advice is to make sure that you don't take too much income out. And, and, and the best way to do that is to is to only take out the, the, the income that's naturally uh, generated from your investment portfolio. So, for example, if you are generating dividends from uh, an equity income portfolio, that might be generating you sort of 3.5% or 4% or something – live within that income, only draw that income, then actually what happens to the capital capital in the short term is actually less relevant. You know, the capital can move up and down uh, in the short term, but over the longer term, it should grow. And as it grows, your income will grow as well. And actually, if you compare... Uh, an income drawdown yield and income of around about 3.5% a year, that's not far off what you'd get from a from, from a, an RPI-linked annuity. So um, that's, a, that's a pretty decent comparable and you'd expect over time that your income would actually be greater than from an RPI annuity.
0: Okay, um, some really helpful suggestions. Thank you, Danny. Now, with all the chaos surrounding the vote for Brexit, as an investor you might be tempted to turn away from UK markets and allocate to what seem like safer places. And perhaps you're weighing up U.S. equity funds, because like the U.K., this is a developed and mature market, but it's far less affected by the Brexit vote. Danny, are U.S. equity funds a safe haven for investors looking to escape the Brexit chaos at the moment?
1: Absolutely not. In fact, no, no stock markets are ever a safe haven, in my view. I mean, the, the thing is with the U.S. is that the U.S. Is, 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 is pretty expensive at the moment. If you look at the, the average price earnings ratio, it's running at about 25 times. Um, whereas you compare that to the UK, that's running about 15 times. So, just from a sort of a valuation perspective, would you invest in something that's 25 earnings or something 15 earnings? And I think I'd go for something that's at 15 earnings. But also, if you if you track the US market going back over the last hundred years or so, um, every time valuations have got around about the 25 times or above, um, at some point it's been followed by a very sharp fall. So you got 1901, you got 1929, you've got 1966, you've got 2000, you've got 2008. And so really from that perspective, you're looking at the U.S. and saying, well, actually, the valuations are high. Perhaps if you believe that Google and Amazon are going to take over the world with their business enterprises, then that's a price worth paying. But I think, yes, you should have some exposure to U.S. in a global portfolio, but really the valuations are high. And... History has told us that every time the valuations have been at this point, they they will come off again. But we just don't know when that might happen.
0: Okay, you mentioned if you got a global portfolio, you should have some exposure. to it. And we obviously we mentioned before that it's important to be balanced and diversified. I mean, what would be the positive reasons for having? some U.S. equity exposure in the mix?
1: Um, well, I think as, as, with any, as with any balanced portfolio, um, you, you, know, you can't second guess exactly where the next layer of growth is going to be. And there are, you know, there are some positive stories from from, from the U.S. Um, the positive stories about, about the likes of Google and Amazon and how, and how they're developing their business enterprises. But I think if you're going to take a global approach, then you can't ignore a market of the size of the U.S. You know, for example, in, in our special situations fund, at the moment, we've got exposure of around about 8%. But it's in relatively defensive um, equities with a defensive fund, and so w- what you're looking to do with a balanced portfolio is to have a, a, sl- a slice of the pie in every area and that and that plan over the longer term. that's going to give you a very consistent approach and particularly with the dollar strength against sterling at the moment, then you know, hopefully you'll, you'll see some positive returns from that, from, from that section of your portfolio.
0: Some really useful tips. Thanks for that. And you can see our full assessment of the US market and some suggestions on how to access it in this week's issue of Investors Chronicle. That brings us to the end of this week's podcast. So it just remains to thank Danny Cox, Chartered Financial Planner at Hargreaves Lansdowne, and Bradley Gerrard, News Editor at Investors Chronicle. You can read more on commercial property, annuities and US equities in this week's issue of Investors Chronicle and the website. Thank you for listening.